0: As we begin, let me state some very basic truths I believe about the Bible. First, the Bible in all 66 books is the Word of God and it has been reliably recorded and passed on to us throughout generations. Second, these scriptures are our authority and only reliable guide into the truth about God and his purpose for us in Jesus Christ. Third, it is our obligation as children of God to live according to the teaching of these scriptures and we will be judged according to their standards. Four, the Bible is a guide for all times That's to say, it's as true now as it has always been and will be true and authoritative for generations to come. Fifth, the Bible is an authority and an authoritative guide for all cultures. That's to say, it's authoritative in every nation and culture of the earth, and where any culture conflicts with its teaching, that culture must change and conform to the commands of the Bible. And sixth, all truths and practice must be measured according to the standard and teaching of God's word. Now, while I stand firmly on these truths about Scripture, there have been times in my life, and I'm sure you have had those times as well, when Scripture did not give you the particular answer that you needed. Consider, for example, a pastor wanting to know whether he should respond favorably to a call from a certain church or wait for another call. What about a missionary seeking to know where they are to serve or imagine that missionary in a country that erupts in civil war should he stay and minister to his brothers and sisters in crisis or should he leave the country with his family to protect them from danger what about the young woman who's been who has received a proposal of marriage is she to marry this particular man or should she wait for another these are questions that are not always clearly addressed in scripture. Now, in some cases, there are principles we can understand from scripture. Certain jobs, for example, are not in line with the purpose of God for the believer, and we can confidently say no to those jobs based on our understanding of God's heart for us as believers as recorded in scripture. When the young woman being proposed to is being proposed to by a man who rejects her faith in Christ, if she marries him, she may be becoming unequally yoked, something that Scripture also speaks about. A number of years ago, I remember speaking with a pastor who was called to leave his current church to go to another And he told me how he wrote to the church that had called him and shared with him what he was making in his current position, the money he was making. He shared with them all the benefits he received from the church. And then he went on to ask them how they would make it worth his while to leave his church to work with them. Now, if I received that letter, I would immediately withdraw my request for him to be my pastor If the reason he came to be my pastor was for the benefits of the salary, I would not want him. If he was not there because God had sent him, I would not want him to be my pastor. And this is based on my understanding of scripture and the qualifications of pastors. Now, while scripture may not speak directly to, the, to my decision, the principles it teaches can often be sufficient to help me make my decision. And this is, however, not always possible. Sometimes it seems that we need extra help to make the right decision. And where does the help come from? when scripture does not provide me with a clear answer? Is God interested in these very personal matters, or or does he simply leave these matters up to us to figure out on our own? Now, understand here that some of these decisions that we have to make are very important and can have a very dramatic impact on many lives. Can we expect that God will guide us in those decisions? And can we expect to know his counsel in these matters. Now, throughout the history of the church, we've seen men and women who've left everything to follow Jesus and his purpose. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, they dropped their nets, they left their boats in the harbor, and and followed. They had no guarantee of income or security, but they were willing to lay down their lives. And some of some followers of jesus have been burned at the stake executed or even stoned to death they did not ask the question however what's in it for me they didn't even think how will i ma- how will you make it worth my while to come and follow you jesus they risked everything and they gave up everything and in many cases these men and women of god lived <clears throat> very difficult lives because of their choice to follow after him. Consider, for example, the, the, the case of Jeremiah the prophet as recorded in Jeremiah 20, verses 7 to 9. Listen to what Jeremiah says about his decision to follow the Lord. Oh, Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me, for whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot... Notice what's happening here. When Jeremiah preached, people mocked him. The preaching of the Word of God brought no response other than that of reproach and derision. Jeremiah felt deeply the pain of rejection and there were times when he just wanted to give up preaching the problem however was that when he held in that truth it seemed to build up inside him like a fire burning in his bones and he could not hold it in god would not let jeremiah stop preaching and the prophet knew that if he didn't preach he would be walking away from the very purpose of god for his life Now there's something greater than personal preferences at work here. The fire of God's spirit is burning deeply in Jeremiah's bones, and that fire drove him to preach whether he wanted to or not. There's something else behind the decisions of these men and women of faith. It's not just something they read in the law, but something else working in them, driving them to make these decisions. They're being motivated by a very powerful heavenly force and that power was such that they risked their lives to obey. God was not leading just by means of his law here. Something else was at work in these lives. So let's take a moment here to consider how God led his people apart from the law, the written law, of and, and let's see what it, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, have to say about God's very specific leading in the lives of his people. Let's begin by looking at Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21. Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night Did not depart from before the people. What do we see here? Well, the Lord gave His people the written law, but He also led them through the wilderness in a very specific way. Listen to what Numbers chapter 9, verses 20 to 22 tells us about the leading of the Lord by means of this pillar and a fire and cloud. Numbers 9 and verse 20 says this. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out, or if it continued for a day and a night. When the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month, For a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. What's happening here? God's people followed the leading of the Lord through the fire and cloud. And they came to depend on that leading and would not move without it. They followed the written law, but they also followed the very specific leading of God through the fire and the cloud as they went through the wilderness. The law of God accompanied by the very specific leading of God by fire and cloud. Now let's turn to Exodus chapter 23. And verse 20, here's what Exodus twenty three twenty says. Behold, the Lord speaking, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. God tells his people here that he would send his angel to lead them and they were to be very careful to obey that angel. Now, notice how that angel would lead them. Verse 23 says this, When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow and break down their pillars to pieces. The angel of the Lord would lead God's people into other countries to fight them. God led his people by cloud and fiery pillar, but also by means of his angel. And he expected that they would not only obey his written word and laws, but also his specific direction through the angel he would send. Now, that would require sensitivity to the Spirit of God and to the directions that, and to the specific directions that He would give them as they walked through the wilderness. Now, turn ahead a few pages to Exodus chapter 28 and verse 30. This is what it says. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Now Aaron, as the high priest, wore a breastpiece as part of his priestly garment. And in that breastpiece were two special stones— First, the Urim, and second, the Thummim, two stones. And God tells his people that these stones were for judgment. Now, how are these stones used? Well, listen to what Numbers chapter 27 and verse 21 has to tell us about this. As Moses comes to the end of his life, he, he determines to commission Joshua to take his place as the leader of the nation. But notice how Moses determined that this should be done. In Numbers 27 and verse 21, this is what he says. And he shall stand before Eleazar, that's Joshua, shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. Now what's important for us to see here is that Moses determined that Eleazar the priest was to inquire of the Lord by using the Urim and Thummim stones to determine the will of God in this matter. And the people would know the specific purpose of God for Joshua to be their leader by means of these stones. And God uses these stones to make Joshua's calling clear to the people of his day, so that there would be no cause to question his calling, that it was from God, and it had been proven by the Urim stone. In First Samuel chapter 14, we have a, a, an even more specific usage of these urim and thummim stones. King Saul, in this passage, is fighting the Philistines and and is determined to defeat them. and And, and so, in First Samuel fourteen twenty four, he places all of his fighting men under a curse that if any of them tasted food before they defeated their enemy, they would be cursed. Now, Jonathan, his son, was not present when, when King Saul made that declaration. And so in the midst of the battle, being hungry, Jonathan dips the end of his staff into some wild honey and eats it. Now, Saul was defeated by the Philistines that day and determined that one of his men must have eaten during this battle and put his whole nation under this curse. And so to determine who the guilty person was, he decides to call for the Urim and the Thummim stones to be brought. And listen to what takes place that day in First Samuel 14 and verse 41. Therefore, Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is on me or uh, in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is on your people, Israel, give Thummim. And Josh, Jonathan and Saul were taken, by. but the people escaped. Then Saul said, cast a lot between me and my son, and Jonathan was taken. Now, we're not sure how these stones were used, but the priests were commanded by God to carry them for occasions such as this. And Jonathan's guilt was discovered by means of these two stones. And God uses it to reveal the truth, the very specific truth of what was taking place that day to Saul. Now, the priests of this time had to deal with a number of cases where He needed to, or they needed revelation from God outside of the written law. We have a case, for example, of a man who suspects his wife of being unfaithful. And in this particular case, as he comes before the priest, it was his word against hers. And who was right? How could the priest determine the will of God, especially something so serious that demanded the death of of an unfaithful wife? How could he determine who was telling the truth? Well, Numbers chapter 5, verses 19 to 22 provided the solution. And so we read in Numbers chapter 5 and verse 19, Then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority, be free from this water of bitterness that brings the curse." But if you have gone astray, though you were under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself, and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then Let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse and say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people when the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell. May this water that brings the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away and the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And so in this case where it was not clear who was telling the truth, the Lord provides a solution. The woman was to drink this water that brings the curse. And everyone was to watch to see what the Lord would reveal specifically about this situation. And so incorporated into the law were these provisions to discern the will of God in matters that more that needed more specific direction. God understood that his law revealed his purpose, but those who applied that law often needed further direction in specific matters. The law did not remove the obligation of God's people to follow his more specific leading. And those who belong to God were required to follow both the written law and the leading of God in more specific ways. Now, God gave his written law through Moses, but he knew, however, that his people would need more than the law to guide them. The law would reveal how they were to live as, as they went through the wilderness, but not how long God wanted them to stay in a certain location or the direction that He wanted to take them to take through that wilderness. For that, they needed the fire, the cloudy pillar, and the angel of the Lord. The law revealed that adultery was wrong, but the priest needed a special and very clear revelation from God to know if a woman was guilty before applying that law. And God would make that clear through the water that she would be required to drink, the water that brings a curse. Now, I would dare say that for God's people to correctly apply the written law, they need God's special revelation. Before stoning a woman for adultery, they needed to have the assurance that she was indeed guilty. Before killing a man for disobedience to the king's order, they needed to know who that man was. Israel knew that God had a land for them, but needed more than human wisdom and the written law to get them through that wilderness in the direction that God had for them to take. So what do we learn from the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible? We learn that God requires more than just obedience to his written law. He demanded obedience also to his very specific guidance, whether that be through a fiery pillar or the angel of the Lord, or the water that brings a curse, or the Urim and Thummim, he provided a means by which his people could discern his will in matters not clearly seen and written in his word. And so the Pentateuch teaches us that God leads us through his written law, but he also directs us in more specific matters not covered by that law. And we're called to be faithful to the written counsel of God, but also to His specific direction and leading in our lives in specific ways. And if we want to become all that God intends us to be, we must also listen to his counsel in these very specific matters.